0: Listener production Hi, I'm Amy Dale and I'm not a lawyer. But since working at the Law Society, I've met and worked with plenty of them. And I've also met countless people who need help understanding the law and more importantly, knowing how to find the right lawyer. That's why we've created this podcast to help make the law accessible for you, for me, for everyone. No jargon, no law speak, I promise. Just me diving into the most common legal problems to help you make the best decisions possible. Welcome to Lawfully Explained. Plenty of us may have considered hiring a lawyer and typically the first question would be, well, how much is this going to cost me? Here today we have an expert, Thomas Russell, who is going to outline the price of legal services and much more including who is eligible for legal aid assistant, pro bono work, and exactly what a billable hour is. Thomas, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks. Great to be here.
0: So I just wanted to first find out what different ways are there of getting a lawyer and do all lawyers cost the same?
1: So the first point is uh, all lawyers absolutely do not cost the same and there are lawyers who will act for free There are lawyers who will charge a reasonably modest fee for what they do, and there are lawyers who will charge very high fees for what they do. And in the private sector, the client is expected to pay for all the work that the solicitor does, but there are other areas of law where it's possible to get community-funded lawyers or uh, legally aided lawyers or pro bono lawyers who will undertake work either with no cost to the person receiving the legal services or for a subsidised cost.
0: So do you pay up front or do you pay at the end?
1: It's neither up front nor the end in some cases, and in some cases up front, some cases at the end. So if your lawyer needs to incur a lot of cost up front, they might ask you for an upfront payment to cover fees. For example, if you're going to bring a claim and you need to get medical reports done, your lawyer might arrange them for you, might require some money up front. If you're going to be running a court case and the court case is going to involve a barrister, the usual arrangement between your lawyer and the barrister who gets engaged to present your case is that the lawyer is liable for the barrister's fees. Mm. And lawyers don't like being liable for barrister's fees unless they've got some money in their trust account to pay those fees, so you might have to pay upfront. But in other cases, it might be agreed that you don't pay till the end. With most lawyers who do what I do, which is commercial litigation, where you are engaged to run a court case, either to defend a claim or to bring a claim, it's neither upfront payment nor payment at the end. It's payment as you go. Mm -hmm. And so what happens is the lawyer sets to work and does what needs to be done. At the end of the month, the bill goes out for that month's work. And it's expected that bill will be paid in 14 days or whatever the lawyer's terms are. And then the lawyer continues work and at the end of the next month, a bill comes out.
0: I know that one thing that you often hear floated around is this term billable hours. So what exactly is a billable hour? Is, it, is this absolutely bang on 60 minutes? Am I paying for someone to go and get a coffee or go to the bathroom? Like, break this down for me.
1: So the way lawyers have traditionally charged for their services is by charging for their time. And time is broken up into, as you said, billable hours. A lawyer will have a particular hourly rate. And there are two main ways that billable hours are broken down. Some firms and some lawyers will charge by the minute. And so if you use 15 minutes of the lawyer's time, then you pay for 15 minutes of that billable hour. Most law firms charge in six-minute units. And so one hour is broken down into 10 pieces, six minutes long. If you use the lawyer's time or if the lawyer works on your file for four minutes, you will be charged for six minutes. If the lawyer works on your file for 15 minutes, you'll be charged for 18 minutes. In other words, the time used will be rounded up to the nearest six-minute unit. And that Practice, although it has been criticised for obvious reasons, has been around for decades and it is the accepted basis on which most lawyers provide fees for commercial services.
0: Mm. And if you are a lawyer, how do you measure that time? I mean, do you have a a stopwatch on your desk and you actually sort of hit go and and count your time from there or how does it work? You're absolutely
1: spot on. You have a stopwatch on your desk. When a lawyer receives a telephone call, particularly young lawyers who are comfortable with IT, the lawyer will often start the clock running on time-costing software in which they record the lawyer's time and which matter the time is spent on and then automatically round it up or deal with it as, uh, in order to produce the number of billable hours worked.
0: If I'm making the decision that, that I want to have a lawyer look at a matter I've got, Is there sort of an option of how many hours something is going to take?
1: When it comes to agreeing how much time a lawyer will take, that'll never happen because there's no need for it to happen. What you'll agree instead is that something will be done for a flat fee. And that's enormously comforting to clients. There's been an enormous trend towards doing flat fee work recently because it's heaps better to understand right up front how much you're going to be charged. That's what everybody wants. And in most cases, for simple transactional matters, most law firms will be able to quote a flat fee for things like buying and selling a house or drafting a will, uh, doing simple commercial transactions and that kind of thing.
0: Mm. I'm thinking often, and the only comparison I can think of, is having renovations or something like that and someone says, okay, this is going to take, you know, roughly six hours. And then halfway through it suddenly, oh, there's a big problem with this pipe or this has got to be pulled out or that's got to be pulled out. So is it typical halfway through a matter to sort of have a bit of a check-in, or is this when a flat fee model kind of trumps everything? So does that also take into account hiccups along the way?
1: It really depends on what the parties have agreed. So if the lawyer and the client have agreed on a flat fee and something goes wrong, but the costs agreement, which is the lawyer's responsibility to prepare, ultimately says that there's a flat fee for getting a particular result, then that's the lawyer's bad luck he or she will have to do it for the flat fee. Likewise, if there's a well-prepared costs agreement, it will have carve-outs for the flat fee. So it'll say if this matter goes as expected, your fee will be X dollars. But if such and such a thing happens halfway through, then we reserve the right to increase our fees or we'll charge you an extra fee of such and such an amount.
0: If I have worked out with my lawyer a fixed cost arrangement and then my lawyer has gone and done a great job and, and written a letter and suddenly the person who I'm trying to take action against has pulled out, Obviously, that means that my lawyer has done a good job, but perhaps not as much work over a longer period of time as I was expecting. Do I still have to pay the full amount or would that be renegotiated?
1: It'll always depend on the cost agreement, but ordinarily you'll pay the full amount because what the lawyer does when the lawyer is calculating a fixed cost is the lawyer will ordinarily build into there some assessment of the prospects that will be Uncommercial for them or a really good windfall for them if they're able to get particular results. Mm -hmm. So, if a lawyer has given you a fixed fee agreement and the terms of it are clear and they manage to achieve the outcome, making somebody go away or getting somebody to pay up, and all they have done is written a letter, it's generally the client's bad luck. But it might not be bad luck, it might still be a great outcome. And so, it's about seeing value in what you're getting as well. If you have managed to achieve an outcome, through very little work, that's a bonus for everybody, including both the lawyer and the client. Mm -hmm. You might have a lawyer who's built in heaps of contingencies into their fixed fee, and it's turned out way better than even the lawyer expected. And you might ask, come on mate, can you please give me a break here? I understand that according to your costs agreement, you're entitled to this, but can you give me a break? It was much easier than we all thought it would be. This
0: was an afternoon's work.
1: They might think, well, you know what, I will. I'll go easy on them. I want them to walk away. I'll end up with enough in my pocket if I charge a lesser fee. They'll walk away happy. They'll refer other people to me. They'll come back to me again. Any sensible person would encourage people to have a discussion rather than have a fear of addressing the topic.
0: I know that often a phrase that I and and other people hear a lot and you often hear it particularly like when you're driving on the radio or on television commercials is no win, no fee. What, does that mean exactly? Because I think a lot of people think it sounds like a bit of a scam.
1: It's an interesting one. No win, no fee generally means that you're marketing to people who have a claim. In other words, something that they want to win. And if they don't succeed in their claim and they don't succeed in getting some money back in their pocket, you won't charge them for it. Now, your question was, is it a bit of a scam? And the answer is, sometimes it is, and sometimes it isn't.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: How do I know the difference?
1: Probably you don't. An ordinary member of the public wouldn't be in a position to tell. And so it's just a matter of speaking to a lawyer who's offering to do the work on a no-win, no-fee basis and having a look at what their terms are and in particular how much they will claim from the settlement proceeds for themselves and then seeking an estimate from a firm that will charge you as you go and trying to understand how much you're likely to be charged and how much it'll end up costing you because ultimately you're trying to get as much money back in your pocket as you possibly can.
0: Mm obviously thinking no win, which means to lose. If I take a case or my lawyer takes a case to court on my behalf and I lose, what happens to me and do I then have to pay for the other side's legal costs as well?
1: That's a great question. So it depends what court you're in. But in most courts, if you bring a case against somebody and force them into court and force them to defend the claim you bring and they win then the consequence is that you are ordered to contribute to their legal costs. Ordinarily, you'd only contribute probably 65 to 70% of their legal costs. Nonetheless, that's a tremendously bitter pill to swallow if you've just also lost your case. Mm. There are a few courts in New South Wales that don't order costs, particularly the small claims division of the local court, which is designed to resolve disputes quickly and cheaply and with as little formality as possible. And one of the ways that they do that is they don't award legal costs and that in turn encourages people not to get lawyers because they know that if they win, they're not going to be reimbursed for their lawyer. But if you are suing an insurer uh, in the district court for personal injury or you are bringing a claim to challenge a will in the Supreme Court and you are unsuccessful, then the ordinary consequence is that you will have to pay the other party's legal costs. And if, because of the nature of the claim, there are three or four different other parties, you might find yourself in a position where you have been ordered to pay the accumulated legal costs of three or four different people. That can result in people becoming financially ruined if they pursue litigation in those circumstances.
2: Mm.
0: In a situation like that, say if it's a job, an employment dispute or an injury claim or something like that, what would be the difference between saying, I don't want to pay a lawyer, lawyers are too expensive, but are there adverse consequences to that, that perhaps paying a lawyer would actually potentially save the money down the track because they could be, they could have rights that they're not aware of, or they could be avoiding, you know, stepping into to areas where they themselves might be
1: sued? You're absolutely spot on. So as with everything in life, there's no simple answer. If you have an employment issue, for example, you might decide to go it alone and you might decide to use free resources that are available to you to to resolve your problem with your employer, for example, the Fair Work Ombudsman or Mm. a union representation if you're the member of a union. But if you lawyer up, as you've correctly pointed out, you might suddenly discover that you've got more rights than you thought. You might discover you've been underpaid for years and you didn't realise and that might give you more leverage. In addition to that, the fact that you've gone out and got a lawyer does send a message. It sends a message that you're determined and you're serious and you're well tooled up and you're ready to have a fight if you need to have a fight. Mm. And so if you have a reasonable person on the other side and you expect them to behave in a reasonable way and you're fairly confident about what your claim is and what the extent of it is, That's all a very good circumstance to avoid lawyers and try and resolve things in other ways, like through discussions. Mm. If you're dealing with somebody on the other side who won't be reasonable and who will need to be taken to task in order to ensure they do the right thing, then although lawyers are expensive, it's often money well spent because typically a letter received from a lawyer will be taken more seriously than a letter received from a person.
0: Mm. Yeah, I find that most of my angry emails go unresponded to. So <laughs> I think you, I think you have a valid point there. I want to ask about the meaning of, again, a word that is thrown around a lot and to figure out exactly what it means and if it is what it says. So pro bono, what does that mean? Is it actually just for free?
1: So pro bono generally does mean for free and it's from a Latin phrase, which roughly translated means for the greater good. Mm. And because it's for the greater good, it doesn't just mean for the good of the person who's being looked after it. Generally, pro bono work is work that is done by a large law firm or some other organisation with charitable objectives to give back to the community and to help vulnerable people out in some way. Pro bono generally means free work. You get a free lawyer. If a lawyer agrees to undertake work pro bono, that means they're doing it for the greater good. They're not doing it for a fee. Now, typical pro bono work will be, for example, a person who's dealing with a serious criminal charge but can't afford a lawyer. Another good example is people with refugee claims who have come to Australia with no money and no assets. They have been detained as unlawful immigrants and they are trying to make out their case to be granted refugee status. Quite plainly, people like that can't afford expensive lawyers Mm. and lots of large firms, the way they give back to the community is by providing pro bono legal assistance to people who find themselves in that position. Mm. Now, consistently with all of that, pro bono, it doesn't mean that you get a free lawyer to help you with your business dispute or your dispute about the guy that built the swimming pool in your backyard (laughs) and it's now leaking. The
0: while I've got you kind of
1: style of... Exactly. Your neighbour's overhanging tree. (laughs) Those are typically not the subject of pro bono uh, cases. In fact, that would absolutely never be the subject of pro bono cases. Pro bono means you're doing something good for society. Mm -hmm. It's what makes us lawyers wake up in the morning feeling good about ourselves when we give back in this way.
0: It's a real warm, fuzzy feeling. Exactly. Even though, as you've said, I I couldn't use a pro bono lawyer for something like an overhanging tree, but in a situation like this where it is a genuine need for legal assistance is there a limit on pro bono? So once you've taken on a case pro bono, is there a set time where you're able to allocate a set number of hours to it or is it you see the case through until the end?
1: It depends on each individual case and it'll depend on whatever the person providing the services. Let's say it's a major law firm, they will probably have their own pro bono policy and that will dictate what they do and what they do for free and what they expect to be reimbursed for. A part of running a case is that you have to incur expense. There are court filing fees, there are fees for serving documents, and so on. And so, with pro bono work, is the client expected to pay those, or does the law firm dip into their own pocket and do it?
2: Mm-hmm. And the
1: answer is it'll be on a case by case basis. There are, of course, other ways of getting free legal assistance other than going to a large law firm and asking for pro bono assistance. For an overhanging tree dispute, for example, this is the type of dispute which would typically be dealt with in a community legal centre. Mm-hmm. There are community legal centres all over New South Wales. They're staffed by lawyers who are generally volunteers and who provide legal assistance for free. And they, as the name suggests, they provide assistance within their community to people who can't otherwise afford lawyers. And they provide generally fairly low-level assistance. They don't go to court and fight cases for people. But if there is a dispute about overhanging trees or unacceptable noise levels or those things that come up from day to day the community legal said it might be the best place for somebody to go because they'll get free assistance. And not only that, they'll be assisted by somebody who does this every day of their life. Mm. Whereas if a person with a complaint about an overhanging tree comes to a typical city law firm, the city law firm will be ill-equipped to deal with (laughs) problems like that because they're not often approached to deal with problems like that.
0: Absolutely. And having started this conversation feeling like a lawyer is an incredibly costly exercise, so we've got pro bono community legal centres, what about legal aid and what's the difference between legal aid and pro bono work?
1: So pro bono work is conducted by essentially private organisations and it's conducted to give back to society by assisting vulnerable people. Legal Aid is a New South Wales organisation funded by New South Wales and Commonwealth Input and Legal Aid helps people who require legal assistance in a variety of different circumstances by either providing them with a free lawyer or subsidising the cost of their lawyer. The test for legal aid is quite stringent. If you're wealthy and you have a private legal problem you need to resolve, like you want to challenge the will of your billionaire stepmother or you have crashed your Rolls Royce, Legal Aid won't <laughs> help you with problems. those things. Everyday problems. Exactly, those, <laughs> th- those problems Legal Aid won't help with. But if you are facing a criminal charge, then Legal Aid will not let you be without a lawyer. Mm. The, the way our society works, the time when you most need a lawyer is when you're dealing with the criminal justice system. And so legal aid will help people through the criminal justice system through a series of different measures. They have duty lawyers at the local courts who people charged with offences can roll up and talk to in the court without an appointment to get help on the day. Mm -hmm. And for people facing more serious charges or uh, long trials, they can apply to the Legal Aid Commission to get what's called a grant of legal aid to have a lawyer allocated to them and funded by legal aid or contributed to by legal aid, depending on financial means, to run the entire case for them. So you get essentially um, all of the benefits of a private lawyer but funded by the state or the Commonwealth or both.
0: Mm. One thing that I also wanted that I was curious about, if I call a, a law firm and a lawyer and I speak to a lawyer and I talk to them for five or so minutes and I think, nah, don't want it anymore... Am I charged for that initial phone call or what, like when does the billing kick in?
1: Once again, it depends on the lawyer. It depends on what the lawyer and the client agree. And the difficulties arise when there's no discussion and there's no agreement. Now, if it's a five-minute chat, like you've said, it's not really a problem. No, no lawyer is going to want to open a file and issue a bill for a five-minute chat. <laughs> but quite often... You have what begins as an inquiry and then the lawyer says, look, I'd like to be able to tell you whether I can help you or not, but I can't really tell until you send me the documents. Can you send me a copy of the sale contract so I can have a look at that? Mm -hmm. Then the sale contract comes through and it's 86 pages long and the lawyer sits there on the weekend pouring through it, finding the relevant clauses, trying to find an answer to the question. And then the client comes back on Monday morning and says, actually, I've got a cousin who's a lawyer. He's going to look after me. Don't bother. And those things happen from time to time. And if they do, you can understand there might be a difference of views about whether it's chargeable or not. Mm -hmm. Ordinarily, if a lawyer expects to charge a client for a matter, he or she will issue a costs agreement fairly early on. If that doesn't happen and there is a dispute between the lawyer and the client about whether work is chargeable, and that dispute ends up in front of somebody like a costs assessor or the law society or a complaints body, then it will be certainly held against the lawyer that he or she didn't make it clear that there was going to be a charge. Mm -hmm. And so to get back to your question, the answer is ordinarily you wouldn't pay for a first consultation if it's just a quick chat. Mm -hmm. If it turns into more work than that, it would be foolish not to have a discussion about it and try and agree some parameters and agree what's going to happen.
0: Mm. Where do you think the myth began that having a lawyer can cost tens of thousands of dollars a
1: day I love that you call it a myth <laughs> to start is. Um, but the answer no is, the answer is that are oh, none taken <laughs> the answer is that lawyers are expensive and the legal system is an expensive system to navigate there would be individual lawyers within Sydney who would charge ten thousand dollars a day a senior counsel who is appearing in a commercial matter or a tax matter might quite easily charge that amount and it might be regarded as reasonable
2: mm.
1: but the work that that lawyer is doing might be worth millions or multiples of millions of dollars to the client. And it might be considered that it's worth incurring that cost.
0: Mm. If I win my case, and so it's gone to court and I win, and then the other side says that client doesn't have the money to pay for my legal fees, wh- what happens? Do I still get the money or do I have to let it go? Or is there someone else who steps in and, and helps out well, in it's that a situation? a wonderful
1: question. It's a wonderful question because it combines my two passions, one of which is costs law and the other <laughs> of which is insolvency law.
0: <laughs> okay. Which is
1: what I practice in day to day. So the answer is if you have obtained a costs order against the other party and they don't have any money, then you cannot recover your costs. And it's that simple. So, if you've incurred $100,000 in legal costs and the court finds in your favor and orders that the other side contribute to your costs, let's say in an amount of $70,000, and they go bankrupt, or if it's a company, if they go into liquidation or administration, that's your bad luck. Mm. Generally speaking, you cannot recover. The way that the justice system or the legal system has dealt with that problem is if somebody brings a claim and they've got no money and no assets, then you can ask the court to make it a condition of them progressing with the claim that they get some money and pay it into court as security. Mm. It's called security for costs. That means that if they don't put that money in, they can't proceed with the claim and force the other party to incur more costs.
0: Mm -hmm. So before it gets to that point.
1: Yeah, but it's the other way around, of course. If you want to sue somebody and the person that you're suing doesn't have any money. Mm. The only way to deal with that is by having a proper assessment up front of whether or not they're worth suing Mm. because there's no point in having an enormous claim if you're suing somebody with no money and they don't have an insurer standing behind them to pay. You might be vindicated, the judge might find that you're entitled to be paid millions of dollars, but that doesn't put money in your pocket.
0: Yeah, that's a bitter pill to swallow.
1: Well, one of the first things that a good lawyer does when somebody comes with a claim is to identify the target and work out whether or not that person or that company is likely to have the ability to satisfy a judgment debt because the last thing you want um, is to end up as a lawyer with your obligation to act in your client's best interests to encourage them to spend fifty, dollars $100,000 in pursuing complex litigation where they're bound to succeed and then realising at the end of it that the company never had the money and if you'd done searches in the first place, you might have realised that this was a risk.
0: I think a lot of the times when people are first calling a lawyer, they may have about how much it's going to cost them, but it's probably also underpinned by a question of, am I going to be okay?
1: Well, that's something that people generally ask lawyers at the very first conference. They say, am I going to be able to defend this charge? Are you going to be able to get me off? Am I going to go to prison? This is criminal lawyers have to deal with very hard questions. Lawyers like me, who specialize in financial matters, we have to tell people like, you know, are you going to win? Are you going to lose? How much is it going to cost? And quite often at the start, we just don't know. We don't have enough information We don't know how the other side are going to respond. And so it's a difficult situation engaging a lawyer, but there's absolutely no doubt that in the vast majority of cases with legal matters, it'd be incredibly foolish to try and tackle it without a lawyer. In many respects, a bit like having to go to a surgeon for a tumor. If you have a legal problem, it's not unlike having a health problem. No one wants to have to spend money on it but the consequences of not spending money on it and not having it properly looked after and engaging professionals who know what they're doing can be absolutely disastrous. Mm. And so legal costs are a frightening thing for people and there's nothing that lawyers can do that, that will make them more palatable. But what they can do is have discussions with their clients about other options, about different ways of tackling problems, ways that costs can be saved. One of the things we do a lot with our clients, we often deal with clients who are business people and they're good at business administration. And so some of the work that we might ordinarily do ourselves that we could give to a team of paralegals to get stuck into, we say to the client, look, we need to get all of these documents. We need to get them all printed, put them in a binder. We can either do it for you or you can do it yourself. And the client says, I can do that. That's fine. That's just printing stuff. I can not fine with that. <laughs> I like printing stuff. And that's exactly right. And they can save themselves thousands of dollars by doing those things. Mm. And so the best thing you can do with your lawyer, if you're worried about costs, is continually talk about costs and if you feel your lawyer is not engaging with you properly or is misleading you or is trying to avoid the issue, I'm sorry to say it. The answer is to go and talk to another lawyer about costs or possibly even to ring the law society and have a chat with the law society. Mm. Let, let them know your concerns.
0: Well, Thomas, I don't know how many six minute units of your time I have taken up, but your advice That's has right, been be priceless. <laughs> so thank you for the absolutely, uh, yes, very, very valuable advice. Thank you so much. Thanks, Amy. What you heard in today's episode is not intended as a substitute for legal advice from a qualified professional. I'm not even a lawyer, remember? So if you are looking for legal advice based on your individual circumstances, head to lawfullyexplained.com.au and find the solicitor who is right for you. Lawfully Explained is a listener production in partnership with the Law Society of New South Wales, hosted by me, Amy Dale. Production by Emily Taccato and executive producer is Todd Stevens. Listen